This is me confessing. This is me admitting. This is me trying to turn around. Trying to turn around the thing that happens every year. Because this. This is where Christmas begins. Dear Christmas. It's not you, it's me. Every year you come around. And every year I hope that I'll have peace and joy and wonder. Every year I place my hope in the gifts you ask me to buy, but I still feel empty. Every year I chase after the seasonal traditions you bring, but I never catch up. Every year I organize my family gatherings that you encourage, but I still need to belong. They're all good things, I know, but they're not the best things. So maybe this is where I go back. Maybe this is where I go back to where it all really begins. It begins with a timeless story that happened in real time. It begins with a baby boy, born to a humble couple, announced by a proclamation from heavenly angels to lowly shepherds. It begins with a word that dwells among us and becomes the lamb that dies for us. You are God with us. You are God for us. And you are God refusing to abandon us. So Christmas, you're here, but I'm here too. Tired, but wide awake. Wide awake. To you. To this. To all of it. Because this. This is where Christmas begins. Welcome to Advent season. This is where Christmas begins, the first of four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day. And we have the opportunity as a community of people to bring the Advent season in together. But I know for many of us, we may be distracted, we may be busy, we may be tired, just like those people writing the letter, right? But I want us to pray that this would be a beautiful season for God to minister into our own personal lives, to our family, and to those loved ones that maybe need to focus on what the purpose is that we celebrate this Advent season. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, it's an amazing thing to think that those of us gathered in this room and worshiping online this morning can lift our voice to you in a prayer and you hear it. Because the distance between here and there in the heavenly realms is no distance at all to you. You are here through your spirit, as your word says, wherever two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in our, in a, in our midst. But Jesus, is an incredible thought to even think more so how you came into this world to walk among us, to live out God's plans and purposes and to bring salvation and that your entrance into that Bethlehem night was the determining factor for the hope that we have here this morning wherever we're at. 
And so, Jesus, this Advent season that we celebrate, you're coming into this world. We look forward to your second Advent, for you to come again. But, Lord, for your coming into this world and what the Advent season brings to us as hope, we pray that we would endear ourselves to that. No matter where our lives may be and the uncertainty of the weeks and days ahead, whether it's uh, in our vocation, whether it's with our health, whether it's with other challenges relationally, Lord, may we be able to center in this month in the Advent season and allow you not only um, to be worshipped and celebrated, but that we would allow space in our heart and our life for you to come afresh and anew to us. Whether we've been a follower of yours for a long time, Jesus, or we're here today just trying to figure out if there's any hope that we might have in spiritual things. So, Lord, we pray your blessing upon not only our time here in this particular moment, but for the whole month. And we just ask that you would take your word and rightly divide it to us, to our spirits today, that we would know truth and that that truth would be able to set us free. In your name we pray. Amen. So, I don't know, do you have um, memories of your Christmases when you were a child that uh, are sort of embedded there that were really good, and you think of those this time of year? Well, we're going to look at some Christmas perspectives over the course of Advent season this month, and those perspectives are different ways to look at Christmas and the old Christmas story and to see it have new life and meaning and purpose to us. The whole concept, though, of uh, Christmas can come from different angles. It's a different uh, visual to see what's on the side with a nativity scene, and it's a different visual to see what's behind me. We have uh, the chance for us to uh, celebrate Christmas in different ways, and you maybe have different ways that you've celebrated Christmas through the years going back to when you were a child. The, the lights that are behind you remind me of one of the things I remember fondly as a child, and that was laying underneath the Christmas tree. Did any of you ever do that? I mean, like, this was when, well, maybe some of you still do it, and that's great. I gave it up a few years ago when uh, I was not the, the laying on a tree. I guess I could try to do that again. But the real Christmas trees where you had to wrap the lights around them rather than you just put, put them together and there's the lights on them. I, I stepped away from it. A few years ago, some of you maybe have heard this story when I was uh, so upset about sawing off the bottom of the Christmas tree and getting it right, and I couldn't get it done, and the neighbor's dog was just yakking away really loud, and I was so upset that I actually took my saw and I walked over to the dog through the fence and I yelled at him, and the guy looked out the window with a saw and me yelling at his dog. That was not a good scene. And I had myself sort of all anxious, and my wife said, okay, Carrie, you're done. We're not doing this anymore. I had to apologize uh, to my neighbor uh, the next day. But um, I don't do real Christmas trees anymore. I, I do the, the easy route around of just adding the, you know, the fake tree with the lights already on it. But in the early days, I mean, it was a family deal. There was five of us siblings. And so when you got the Christmas tree, you know, finally set up and worked out, then you wrap the lights around it. And you wrap the lights around it, and you put the ornaments on it, right? We had these icicle kind of things I remember putting on it. But uh, through those early years, I remember I would go and I would lay underneath the Christmas tree. It was a whole different perspective to see the Christmas tree with the lights going out. And I would just lay there and enjoy it. I don't know why. 
um, that was such a big deal to me, but it was. In fact, um, some of the days, uh, the years, I would uh, be wrapping the lights with my brothers or whatever, and I would intentionally put more lights back in up against the trunk of the tree. Because I knew when I laid under the tree and I had that perspective that it looked more beautiful to have more lights and have the trunk of the tree lit up. That's just a simple, unique, maybe, I don't know, kind of perspective on Christmas. But the lights looked different to me. And there was a sense of wonder and awe as a child. Have you gotten sort of, not bored with Christmas, but it's a little bit of a routine? Maybe it's a little overwhelming to you when you think of the things you have to do, the gifts you have to have, and the families you're going to you know, try to entertain. Don't allow this month to be the same old, same old. Don't allow this month to become overwhelming or burdensome. Right-size things in your life so that you can draw near to the Lord as we did during worship, and you can experience the wonder again of the Advent season of God. Wow, came into this world to redeem us and to change the way things are. And so for today, we are going to look at some fear knots, different little perspective on the Christmas story. Do you know that there are four fear knots? that are proclaimed in the Christmas story from scriptures. Now, fear not was a common kind of phrase. In fact, uh, if you were to look at Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Joshua, and, and even with the disciples later on, you would find this phrase coming through scripture, do not be afraid, fear not, fear not. And so I want to address that perspective of Christmas today the idea that there are fears that we have in life that Christmas comes to address. And the fear knots can roll their way through our life in a way that is transformational. But you have to pause and ask yourself, am I living in fear or am I afraid of anything in my life right now? You know, fear is sort of a little bit of a, a learned trait. In fact, when I looked into it a little bit, I, I, I guess as a... a a young infant, there's only two fears, the fear of uh, falling and the fear of loud voices that startle. Now, there's the fear of not, you know, having, having food and those kinds of things. That's not really a fear like the shock, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to me? But the fears are developed and sort of trained in our life. And it's caused you and I to sometimes step back and be hesitant in life or to be overwhelmed or to worry. Think about maybe if you were the fourth grader, and the fourth grader's just young and full of life and confidence, and the young fourth grader raises his hand during class to answer a question that the teacher has asked. And the fourth grader answers the question, but his answer is wrong. In fact, it's wrong with such a twist that the rest of the classroom starts to snicker and laugh. <laughs> Well, do you, do you think that causes you to be more bold or more defiant in that kind of moment? No, it causes you to type to step back. Maybe it starts to carry with you through other things that happen in life, and you're in a in a in a you know a boardroom situation or some type of planning session, and and somebody comes up with an idea, and then you have an idea, but you say to yourself, 
I don't think I want to do. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's a, not a very good idea. Well, what are you fearing in that moment? Are you fearing uh, the uh, rejection of other people? Are you fearing what might be the consequences for you in your life? And though that's one small example, there's other kinds of traumatic things that can happen to us in life that causes us to step away and, and to fear, to be afraid. Well, if you look at the Christmas story, there's definitely some things that were going on that would cause all the characters in the nativity story to sort of be afraid. And so I want to look at four and allow you to think in terms of what you fear in life and if these four might have something to speak into your life as a different perspective on this Christmas. And the first is this, the fear not of patient faith. Fear not of patient faith. We know that some of the narrative for the story of Jesus begins with the, the birth of a baby, but it wasn't the birth of the baby Jesus. It was actually the birth of his cousin. And the story is picked up, if you want to turn there, in Luke. And Luke chapter 1, it says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and Zechariah is like and part of the extended family, he was serving as priest before God, and he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So the incense burning, the, the priestly work was happening inside of the holy of holy places. And then it says this in verse 11 of Luke chapter 1. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Appeared to who? Zechariah. And guess who the angel was? He was here this morning and he gave the call to worship. Gabriel, right? Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Now, you start on gripped with fear in one sense because you're saying, oh my goodness, uh, this is an angel in the presence. But what is it that Zachariah had been longing for and praying for his whole life? And he was in older years. He had been praying for a son. He had been praying for something to happen, but he lived in fear that it was never going to happen. Verse 13, but the angel, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, your prayer has been heard. Any of you ever feel like your prayers are not heard? that it just sort of hits the ceiling, bounces off. I've prayed for this, and man, I've been working at it a long time. I've prayed for a whole week on this, and nothing's happened. I've prayed for a whole month. I've been praying for a whole year. I've been praying and praying for years. God, have, are you there? Do you hear anything? And unanswered prayer can bring fear into our life, especially when it's about a very serious dire situation in your life, in your extended family's life, or maybe something personal that uh, you are challenged by, that you're up against to see change happen. 
Verse 14. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. There are two opposing forces that seem to happen in our life as it relates to our relationship with God. The one is the force of fear, but the other is the power of faith. And is the force of fear in your life, controlling your life, keeping you in doubt and uncertainty and weariness, where what God's asking you to do is to turn to him in this season and accept afresh and anew the wonder of him coming through and that your faith can help push back the fear and the uncertainty and the pain of fear. You see, these three sort of operate in tandem. Fear, a feeling of fate, what's well, not ever going to change, is what's going to happen, happen. And fret, and we fret about things over and over again. I could give you a list of a few things in my own life right now that I'm fretting about. And, and when I think about it, I think, well, maybe it's fatalistic. I can't see any change happen there. And underlying is the fear. The fear, my marriage is never going to change. My children are never going to make a turn. My job's never going to pan out in a way that I feel fulfilled in. The finances are always going to be tight. My health issues and conditions are never going to change. And so we start to bunker back in this sense of fear, fate, and fret. But we need to turn to God because he has called us and we see it through Scripture in the story of Advent, to have faith. And in God's time and in His ways, He can fulfill those desires and those passions of your heart you felt bunkered back by. I love this passage in Isaiah 41. Isaiah 41 says this, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous hand. Now, what's the response of do not be afraid? It's not just suck it up, suck it up. Just don't be afraid. You're worrying. You're a worry wart. You know, just stop. Stop thinking those bad, you know, negative kinds of thoughts. Think positive kinds of thoughts. This, friends, is not a positive thinking kind of sermon. This is a turn from your fear to faith kind of sermon, and it's the faith in what you have faith in that gives you the hope and the victory in life. And so in the midst of your fear, your fretting, your feeling of faithfulness, turn to faith, but that faith is faith in who? The Almighty God. I am. Hello? Hello, Carrie? Hello, Bob? Hello, Sally? Hello, Debbie? I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you onto you with my righteous right hand. Our faith that we need to be patient with in the fear knots is a faith in the almighty, supreme, powerful God. So what's your work situation? You ready to give up on it? I'm out of here. I'm done. 
I'm moving on to something else. I'm going to give up on that person if they're ever going to make a turn to follow the Lord. I'm just going to stop praying for them. I'm tired. I don't know. I don't know this illness and this sickness is creeping up on me every day, and I cannot get any victory over it. There is no hope. If you find yourself in a place of fearing today, I believe God would say to you, Fear not, for I am. I am able. I'm here to help. I can be strong. And that fear not requires a patient faith. And Zechariah had that faith. When he was fearful, do you remember what he did? He didn't believe God. I don't know. I mean, there was, there was a lot to be said about being the age that they were and the ridicule they were maybe taking on in their community. Childlessness was seen as sometimes a judgment of God. And he probably had his doubts and his fear, and here was God telling him that they were going to have a son. And he probably pushed back at some level, and there was that uncertainty of fear, and God struck Zacharias silent. He wasn't able to speak for nine months until the child was born. It's one of those stories where you go, I don't want to be in that situation, God. May you not strike me silent. But it was a reminder that all of us will find ourselves in places of fear, but we have to be patient. They had been patient for all those years, and God came through. And even in the moment that the word was spoken to him, there was a need to be patient for the child to be born. The fear not of patient faith. The second fear not has to do with belief. Belief not only in the trusting of God and his character, but the belief that the miraculous can really happen. The fear not of the miraculous. If you'll turn with me then a little bit further in that Luke account to Luke chapter 1, verse 30, you find these words as it relates to another character and another perspective. But the angel said to her, who's her? Mary, Gabriel. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. You are to call him Jesus. And then verse 32, he will be great. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Here's Mary, and Mary was young, right? She's probably 15 or 16, started families young in those years. And God found favor with Mary. But Mary was taken back in all this, and she had fear. But the angel came to her as well and said, Do not be afraid. I am here to tell you the news, good news, that God is going to take your life and place his very life within your womb. And you are going to give birth to a son, the son of the most high. And the Lord God's going to give him the throne of his father David historically. 
but he will reign over all of Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will you know, run out after 100 years. No, his kingdom will never end. So here's the Virgin Mary who had never had sex, never been with a man, but she was engaged, if you will, betrothed to Joseph. And she has the angel tell her this miracle is going to happen. And I don't know about you, but there's something in my mind as we walk through this Advent season, I still can't get myself around, my head around again this year, is that God in a body, God who made the universe, put himself in the human flesh of a baby and grew and lived to be a man and then walked through the Passion Week and all that he did. God, he, he became one of us, the incarnation. As it says in John 1, chapter 1, I mean, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, Christ was, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made, but that has been made. God, if he can place himself in a human body, then God can take on your problem that you're fearful with. And God can come into your situation and be the Savior today as surely as any other time in the course of the universe and history. Now, we know that with our head, right? Like, that's right. I'm, I'm in church, man. God, God works miracles. But <clears throat> this situation that I have in my life, in my family, in my workplace, in my education, in my future, man, I just don't see it ever changing. I'm with you. I've been there. have some of those things even in my life now, but I'm like, God, if you can do that, Bring yourself into human existence and fulfill the Father's purposes and plans for salvation, then you can take care of my problem. There is the fear not of the miraculous. God would say to you this morning, whatever that situation, that fear is that you have, your current perspective, or maybe thinking that there's no hope or there's going to be ill demise of it, God would say to you, Fear not, for miracles do happen. Miracles can happen. But you, with your patient faith, open yourself up to the God who is able and favorable, the one who is and works towards you, and you allow him space and margin to work the miraculous. Fear not, he said to Zechariah. Fear not, he said to Mary. And fear not, he brought to who Mary was engaged to, Joseph. Have you ever tried to look at it from the perspective of Joseph? Here he had a nice young lady that he was going to marry. And she comes to him one day and she says, I need to <clears throat> tell you something, Joseph. I'm going to have a baby and it wasn't like they were messing around. They were walking the pure and holy life as God calls us to before we're married. And he, he knew if the baby wouldn't have been his. So where does his mind go? 
probably goes to some of his friends, some other people in the village. Who could she have been with? But then Mary says to him, Joseph, uh, I'm pregnant because God made me pregnant. I've not been with any man or had sexual relations. What would have you done if you were Joseph? You would have thought in that moment, I am uh, engaged to someone who has fallen morally, but not only that, I am engaged to someone. That's crazy! What do you mean God made you pregnant? Where in the world would that idea come from? And if I was Joseph, I'd been starting to take some steps back on this whole relationship, what's going on, because there's word buzz. And, you know, I was recently to Nazareth, and we went to, you know, the, the area where Mary and Joseph, they believe, would have been living, because it would have been much smaller then. And you're trying to comprehend this, and I'm thinking, this was just a small little village. Everybody knew everybody's business and news. And here's Joseph in this situation. And he's fearing. He's fearing what other people are saying, what they're thinking about him. He's fearing what he should do because he cares for Mary, but he is in an awkward predicament. So does he just suck it up, take it on, and say, well, yeah, hey, guys, I, I'm sorry. We you know, walked a line we shouldn't have walked, or crossed a line we shouldn't have crossed in our relationship, and you know, baby's going to be mine kind of thing. Don't listen, don't listen to Mary. She's just a little out there that God made her pregnant and put a baby in her womb. Think of it from Joseph's angle. What would have you done? There was fear. Fear on many different fronts. But the fear not for Joseph was the fear not of immediate, of ob immediate obedience. If you turn to Matthew, Matthew 1, verse 20, in Matthew 1, verse 20, you're going to find uh, the response of what happened in this particular situation. So in Matthew chapter 20, but after he had considered this, considered what? I'm out of here. I'm done. After he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And said, Joseph, take son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Then if you go down to verse 24. What did he do? When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. The fear not of immediate obedience. It wasn't like, you know, I'm going to have to think on this dream. Was that really a dream or is that bad pizza from the night before? I don't know, but he got up, he woke up, and he did what the angel said, what you know, the Lord had spoken to him about, and he took Mary home as his wife. He acted on that which the Lord had said. Fear not. How many times you and I sort of backpedal because 
Uh, we just need more space and time. Okay, maybe God's in this, and God sort of said for me to do something, but I'm not going to you know, give my life away that way. I'm not going to invest my resources in God's work because, well, you know, things are a little tight in the economy. I'm not going to uh, step out and take this initiative God's burdened me with because, um, well, I don't know. I might fail in it, and then other people would, what would they say, or how would I look? We don't respond immediately to the command of the Lord. If you want to push back on some of the fear in your life, you need to work with obedience, immediate obedience to those things that God has prompted in your heart and run with them. You know, it's, it's a challenge, isn't it, not to be able to say yes to the Lord. Um, there's a story told of uh, a preacher that I read after a lot in my younger days. He was uh, from England, G. Campbell Morgan, and uh, he was in a situation where he was uh, giving some news to uh, the people that he was speaking with that they needed to immediately uh, obey the Lord and not be hesitant with things. And so what happened in this situation, he was preaching to a group of people at the Keswick Convention, which was sort of a, a big holiness kind of convention in that day. And G. Morgan was uh, saying that God was calling people to be missionaries to go overseas. And he noticed there was a young lady that seemed to be very disturbed as he was preaching along and challenging people to be missionaries to go overseas. And, and he went up and talked to her afterward, well, what's going on? And, and the young woman, she said, well, I, I believe God's calling me to be a missionary. But what about my family? I'm the one that takes care of them. I, I don't know what, who, who would take care of them if I didn't... And, G. Campbell Morgan, he sat down with her and he said, let me show you a passage of scripture. And he took her to a passage in Acts where God brings a vision to Peter about Peter's narrow-mindedness about how to take the gospel and where to take the gospel to. And he said, uh, look at this verse here. In this dream, God gives this dream to Peter. And then when Peter wakes up, from this dream, and God's calling him to do this work, the words and the text and the translation that was used in that time, it was just simply that, uh, not so, comma, Lord. Not so, Lord. And he says, I now want to give you a pen, and I'm going to encourage you to sit here, and you contemplate which set of words you're going to mark out. Because what Peter said is a contradiction. Not so, Lord. He says, you're either going to need to mark out the not so or mark out the word Lord. And he went away and he noticed in the afternoon that she was still around and he, he came up to her and she was in tears. And she was in tears. Because of God's calling on her life to be obedient to something that she had fear about. And as he looked down, she had taken the pen and she had marked down, not so. She had left the word, Lord. You see, not so, Lord, is a self-contradiction. If God's told you to do something, you need to obey and do it. 
don't fear ultimately because he has your good in store, though we think not. Like, who's going to take care of? But we need to obey the commands and the teachings of the Lord. And we need to do it with expediency. And could it be that some of the fear in your life is tied to your uncertainty, your double-mindedness, your two steps forward, you know, one step back, your double step, your double-mindedness? Could it be that the fear that's allowed to take you a hold of life is because there's places that there hasn't been obedience? Joseph, he woke up and he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. The fear not, pushing it back of immediate obedience. So there's the fear not of patient faith seen from Zechariah. The fear not of the miraculous by Mary embracing the impossible. And the fear not of Joseph of immediate obedience. The last one is the common one. We sang about it with our first song. And it had to do with the shepherds that were watching their flock by night, right? And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. It's the fear not of gospel presentation, proclamation. It says this in Luke 2, verse 8. In Luke 2, verse 8, if you jump back to that gospel. In Luke 2, verse 8, it says, And there were shepherds living out, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were pleasantly enjoying their evening, but they were terrified in that moment. It goes on to say then, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah and the Lord. And you see what they did. They had some immediate obedience to go and see the child that was born, and that's why there's shepherds in the nativity scene for Advent, right? But in verse 17, it says this, When they had seen him, what did they do? They spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. This is the fear not of gospel proclamation or the fear not of the gospel itself. And I think this is critical for us for the first day of Advent that you and I need to embrace we need to embrace the gospel. The good news is what gospel means. The good news of uh, Christ's salvation, him coming into the world. And we need not to, to shy and to hold back from it. The more that you're intimidated and fearful about sharing good news, inviting people, I was talking to somebody right before church and they were excited about December 17th because at their workplace they've been inviting several people to come to church. And they're going to come on the 17th. And so they said, I want to be able to be here and be able to give attention. I want to be able to see them experience the good news of Christ. Now, it's not necessarily that people have to come to church. You were the messengers and the good shepherds. What were they doing? They were going around and they were articulating on their way back to the hillside. This is the news. This is what's happened. The Savior has been born in, Jerusalem, in Bethlehem. 
We need to own this Advent season, our calling to be a part of the gospel proclamation. Because the more you articulate that which you believe in, the more you express it to other people, the more you have comfortableness with that which you believe, and the more that you will not uh, be intimidated with fear as it relates to being used by God. You and I need to be able to share the gospel and share the gospel, if you will, sometimes with people that we think would not at all be likely to hear. So right now, you name in your mind, not out loud, some people that you think would not want to receive the good news, that they might smirk at you, they might laugh at you, they may just push you off indifference. It could be that some of the most unlikely people are the people that are the most receptive. I was reading about Alice Cooper, who was the shock jock uh, kind of rock star, right? Five generations he spanned. I don't know if you know, but he um, you know, was way out there, and his wife got him to consider Christ, and he came and believed in Christ and became a Christian, and, and he uh, started to share the gospel. I mean, he used to drink down a, uh, a whole bottle of whiskey every day and start off pretty early and some other kinds of things that were going on in his life. And he was challenged about uh, his ability to be able to share the faith with other people because he didn't know if they really would want to do that. He became a Christian and he now speaks um, to different people about the gospel of Christ, including some rock musicians. And he says this, I have talked to some big stars about this, the gospel, the good news. Some really horrific characters and you'd be surprised, he says. The ones that you would think are the farthest gone are the ones that are most apt to listen. The fear not of gospel proclamation. When the angels appeared to the shepherds, they were in fear. They went and saw the Christ child. They then turned their life and they walked towards a life of sharing the good news. Fear not. Patient faith. Fear not. Believe in the miraculous. Fear not. Take immediate obedience. And fear not. Proclaim the gospel in your own witness. Impart it to others. And God will walk you away from a life of fear as we trust in him because he is able. As we love the Lord, he cast out that fear that comes our way. We're going to close um, our time this morning by taking communion. And um, maybe you received the cup. If not, just raise your hand and try to get them around to you. Or there's baskets at the back. You can get the communion cup. As we walk through the day uh, this, uh, these weeks with different Christian perspectives, I want us to take a different perspective on communion this morning. And it's a perspective that I really don't articulate a lot. And that's been my bad as a pastor. A lot of times when we take the elements in worship that represent Christ's work, what he did on the cross and through the power of the resurrection for the salvation of our lives. 
we go to the Corinthian passage where Paul gives reference that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, you know, took the cup and he said something about the bread and that the bread um, was his body that was broken. And we know that the juice represents the blood that was shed. And so when we take the, the bread and we take the cup, we remember the Lord's death until he comes again. That's what we're exhorted to do with our communion time. And so our visual is thinking of Jesus on a cross and his body has been broken and his blood is shed from how they whipped and scarred him and, and even trying to find out if he was dead or not and they put the spear in his side and blood and water flowed and that significant work of the cross is what we remember when we have communion. But you know that when Jesus took the bread and the cup and he instituted, if you will, the sacrament of communion, it says in Luke 22, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to them. So I, you got your bread there? Hold it up. It's just a symbol. You probably had a big chunk of bread or something. I don't know. It was a pastor. And what did Jesus say to them after these years that he had lived on earth and he had his ministry and he was facing the cross, going to complete the work of being the Savior to the world for the reason he broke in, knowing the fears in all the people? He took the bread and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The thing that I'm amiss in teaching or remembering sometime when I come to the table is that in the bread and the cup, there is both the incarnation of Christ's birth represented and his death on the cross. He came in body form. Incarnation, God in a body, my goodness, miraculous. We should take communion and remember Advent as well as Golgotha. And so let's pray as we partake of these elements and thank the Lord and you thank the Lord that he came in a body to walk among us, to show us what love and life was all about, but then he was also obedient to the shedding of his blood for the salvation of all people. Lord Jesus, we thank you here this morning as surely we prayed up front for your goodness. We love you. And as we remember you this morning through communion, we remember that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, glories of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We take the bread in remembrance of your advent coming into the world for the salvation of all mankind. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You may partake of your bread. After he gave them the bread to represent his body, 
it then says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were obedient all the way to the point of death on the cross, and it's through the cross and the power of the resurrection that we can have the forgiveness of our sins. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that your spirit's working on and speaking to that has never crossed that line of faith, then we pray that you would hold them dear and that they would be able to come to a place of repentance and belief in following you and receive the salvation to enter into a new covenant relationship with God through the work that you did on the cross. So Jesus, we thank you for your shed blood this morning and what you've done for us. Amen. You may partake. So ends the uh, first day, first Sunday of Advent. I'm going to invite Angel Gabriel to come back up. And uh, he's going to share uh, some announcements we have. But I want to encourage you that if you'd like to have prayer for any